Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. It is Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. With me today are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in the U.S. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist. Well, China has named a new central bank governor, Yi Gang. Mr. Yi has served as Deputy Governor of the People's Bank of China since 2008, and he succeeds Zhao, Mr. Zhao, who has been governor for the past 15 years. During his tenure as head of the PBOC, Zhao, China's Zhao, saw China's surge to become the second largest economy, lived through the global financial crisis, ended the yen's fixed peg to the U.S. dollar and moved it to a basket of currencies, and won the currency's inclusion in the International Monetary Fund's reserve basket after much, much lobbying. Also named by the National People's Congress, a legislature that usually rubber stamps the party's desires, was Liu He, sometimes called Uncle He, as vice premier in charge of economic policies and financial issues. And as such, the PBOC governor will report to him. Should add, both of them have been educated in the U.S. in their advanced degrees. The PBOC is an independent in the way the Fed, ECB, and the banks of England, Japan, and Canada are. However, despite the lack of formal independence, which is something central banks crave, the bank has found ways to increasingly act on its own initiative. The PBOC's tools and monetary policy framework have evolved in recent years in ways that have given a slightly more independent, given it slightly more independence than in the past to control liquidity and guide interest rates. As a result, more traditional bank benchmark rates such as bank reserve requirements, deposit rates, and lending rates haven't been used much in recent years. Instead, the PBOC has created other tools such as standing lending facility and medium-term lending facility to manage financial system liquidity. Not only are these lending rates apparently more effective, but more importantly, the bank doesn't require political approval to make changes to the rates of these lending tools. So their greater, so their greater use has given the PBOC more independence to control liquidity and interest rates. Moving right along. And can I ask you a quick one just on, on this? Um, Mr. E, understand he's been, what, the number two at the central bank for the last decade or so? And yet he was a real, had to hold a relatively lowly position on the Central Committee. So I was wondering if you think whether or not this means that the government is trying to have more direct control over the Central Bank or whether that's irrelevant. Well, since the, uh, Liu has been named to uh, part of the, the major policy group surrounding the president, it seems to me that he will have the control and indirectly political control, but that remains to be seen how much is really exercised since things are going rather, relatively smoothly. Right. I mean, it, it, 
your guess is as good as mine at this juncture. Theoretically, probably more political control, given the consolidation in the government. But on the other hand, they may be pleased with the way things are and have this controlled independence. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, this is Mark. I have a question. What? How would you characterize their monetary policy? Is it um, conservative? Uh, I would say neither too hot or no, or too cold. <laughs> how how distant is it from the Fed? Let's assume our Mark will talk about. You know, the Fed hikes this week. Does it have any immediate implications for what the PBOC might do? Not directly, but I think. As things have developed over the past 10 years or so, the central banks in other countries other than the U.S. have gotten markedly more attention and they have been raised in visibility. They are much more visible than they ever were in past decades. So in that sense what's happening in the global economy and ergo what other central banks are doing have to be it has to be an implied something that's implied that people are paying attention to in the fed in the bank of england wherever okay you're next jeremy okay um well, I suppose I can keep my bit relatively quick. Um, in terms of central bank policy uh, for Europe, um, we had disappointing news for the ECB back end of last week when we had a downward revision to the February inflation rate. So that now stands at just 1.1%, which is its weakest print since the back end of 2016. The call rates weren't revised in the final data. They're running at between 1% and 1.2%. But bottom line is not what the ECB wants to see, as well ultimately really does suggest that despite now the central bank has switched to this neutral policy bias it's certainly being going to be in no rush at all to come out and end its quantitative easing program let alone hike interest rates um, with that in mind uh, the key data this week will be on Thursday, we'll have uh, the March flash PMIs, and they're really expected, if anything, to signal a further, at least slight deceleration in business activity. And I think as we talked a bit about last week, um, if we don't see some pickup in some of the domestic contributions from um, demand, then it may be the case that the first quarter Eurozone GDP data are going to disappoint. For the UK, central bank meeting here as well on Thursday, the Bank of England uh, widely expected to do nothing in terms of their interest rates or quantitative easing. Um, the bank now has clearly uh, quite a strong tightening bias implicit in its last communique. But we had inflation numbers today, Tuesday, which showed the headline rate falling 0.3 percentage points to 2.7%. That, of course, is still above the 2% target, but it's also the lowest figure we've seen there since last July. So I think that's very much strengthened the view that we won't see a change in rates today, uh, sorry, on Thursday. But still, there's a reasonable chance we will see the bank pulling the plug when we get the next uh, quarterly inflation report at its next meeting in May. That said, one thing just quickly to keep an eye in terms of the numbers. Wednesday, we'll have the labour market report. The key reason why UK inflation isn't higher than it is has been the sluggishness of wages. We have seen um, some of the settlements numbers picking up. So if we were to see a surprisingly strong earnings component of the labour market report Wednesday, that could be enough to perhaps preempt uh, or cause a split vote on Thursday, which markets would interpret as very much of increasing the chances of another 25 basis point hike in May. 
I'll just quickly round off with Brexit since markets over here have been moving on the back of this. People might have seen that yesterday, Monday, we received the outline of a transition deal uh, between the UK and the EU. This basically just means that as far as well, to all intents and purposes, the UK will effectively be trading as part of the e- as, as if it were an EU member right through until the end of 2020 which will see the completion of this transition deal. Um, At this stage, it's got to be said, though, although it's good news in the sense that issues such as citizens' rights and the overall divorce bill have been sorted out. The the big unresolved question surrounding the Irish border has yet to be addressed. And bear in mind, too, that at the end of the day, this agreement, which is expected to be rubber-stamped by the EU Leaders' Summit on Thursday, this is dependent upon there being a final Brexit withdrawal treaty being signed uh, before we actually leave um, Brexit. Um, at March next year. So at this stage, it's still very much one step forward and perhaps half a step back. Markets got very excited about it, but if anything, you know, the risk is that the net set of users will be disappointing. So I'll be a little bit wary of the pound at the moment. That's my lot. Thanks, Jeremy. Mark, we know what you're going to talk about, so talk about it. Market excitement. uh, Jeremy, I think I I hit the nail on the head, at least for uh, what we uh, may see tomorrow with the FOMC announcement. Remember now, uh, go back a couple months in January when we had the last FOMC, and then they upgraded their uh, assessment of inflation this year, saying that it would go up around target. Uh, to 2%, which uh, was a small step, but still a significant one, uh, pointing to a little bit higher rate of inflation. That was followed a couple of days later by a uh, jump in average hourly earnings. And this, if we go back and you look at the uh, stock market charts, you'll see that uh, this caused the beginning, or this uh, coincided with the beginning of what is still being worked through in the stock market, which is a, a great deal of volatility. Now, for tomorrow, uh, a 25 basis point uh, uh, rate hike, which is a gradual, incremental, as small as they as they can get, um, is uh, it just it appears to be absolutely certain. So that would put yes. Never mind. Okay. Just say what I was going to uh, ask you. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so that would that puts uh, the emphasis on the quarterly FOMC forecasts. And then the last time we had one of these was uh, back in December, and they were calling for three rate hikes this year. Again, the incremental 25 basis point. Okay, versions. Mark. Now I will interrupt you. Okay. Please say what the interest rates are. The Fed funds rate is currently. Oh, it's a, 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 a medium 1.375%, uh, uh, 1 and 3 eighths percent, and that's going to go up 25 basis points. It's within a range of 1.5 to uh, 1.75. Um, it, yes. It, in, uh, in any case, what we're going to get uh, the projections for uh, the last one in December, where we were going to have three this year. Well, now with March, assuming we do get one tomorrow, that will leave uh, two more. And it will there in those FOMC forecasts. Now, these headlines come out. You have to look a little bit. It's not going to be the first headline that you see. It'll probably be the second. The first is the obligatory headline on the on the rate rise. Um, but the but again, that's not going to be the one that moves the market. The ones that move the market, unless of course that's a big surprise. The one that's more likely to move the market is going to be the references to the FOMC forecasts. And if they now see a continuation of three more to come 
that would be uh, four this year, and uh, that would imply that stock market investors may be fighting against the Fed. So that would then create uh, a lot of uh, you know demand, probably for safety, and uh, that would be uh, uh, you know a significant outcome. Now, what, and following that, however, it will be Jerome Powell's uh, about a half hour later. Uh, at 2:30, uh, Jerome Powell will begin his uh, his first um, uh, press conference as uh, FOMC chair, and his assessments of inflation will be very uh, closely watched. And his assessments of the whole uh, of and uh, the assessments of himself, both uh, as observers and as investors, will also be in uh, very very close focus. He follows a long tradition of excellence in that position, and. Uh, and, it, and he's going to have to live up to it. And also his influence on, on the debate, in, uh, which uh, actually begins today. It's a two-day uh, two FOMC meeting, which begins today with the announcements tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and his influence, if any, will also uh, will try to d- decipher that. So it looks to be a very, very exciting time for uh, not only economics, not only for national policy, but especially for the financial markets. I should mention that um, on economyday.com you can find the latest Fed forecasts about five so minutes after they are released by the Federal Reserve. That would be between 2.15 to 30 U.S. Eastern Time. That's it, guys. Until next week, and we can tell you what happened. <laughs>